WRA News, I'm Bob Levicky. Harrisonburg is the first municipality in Virginia to call for a ceasefire in Gaza. The Mountain Valley Pipeline is almost complete, but protesters deliver a petition to the Attorney General to stop it. And we meet a former auto mechanic turned pipe organ builder in Stanton. This is the WMRE Daily for Wednesday, February 28th. Harrisonburg City Council is the first governmental body in Virginia to pass a resolution calling for a ceasefire in Gaza. WHSV reports that after months of facilitating conversations between both sides, Harrisonburg City Council Tuesday night passed a resolution to take to state and federal leaders to call for a ceasefire. Mayor Dina Reed says she will hand-deliver the resolution to U.S. Senators Tim Kaine and Mark Warner this morning. Protesters delivered a petition to Attorney General Jason Miari's office last week calling for work to stop on the Mountain Valley Pipeline. Patrick Larson with VPM News reports. Deborah Kushner, an activist with Third Act Virginia, says Miares isn't holding pipeline developers accountable to state law or a 2019 consent decree signed by his predecessor, Mark Herring. Sediment is everywhere along the pipeline route. It's in the roadways, it's coursing down the rights of way, it's in the streams and the rivers. Kushner and two others staged a brief sit-in at the AG's Richmond office before being removed by law enforcement, all while Miares passed them by with the anti-abortion rights March for Life. Activists and residents along MVP's route have reported environmental damage, including landslides and sediment plumes in streams and wells. The State Department of Environmental Quality says the developers are handling those issues as they arise. Equitrans Midstream last week raised the estimated price tag to $7.5 billion and pushed the project's completion to mid-2024, citing construction delays. Patrick Larson reporting. Trade associations representing hundreds of companies that do business in Virginia have come out against a proposal to expand the state's sales tax on digital goods. The Associated Press reports that's something that Republican Governor Glenn Youngkin proposed and Democrats endorsed in their budget legislation. Both chambers of the legislature included the new sales tax on products such as streaming subscriptions like Netflix cloud storage, and online downloads in the two-year budget plans they passed last week. The Senate went beyond the House of Delegates in also applying it to -to business-to-business transactions. In a letter to lawmakers, the Northern Virginia Technology Council and other business-focused lobbying and trade organizations said the General Assembly should reject the proposed tech tax, which lawmakers estimate could generate more than a billion dollars in revenue over the next two-year state budget. Legislation that would get rid of two Virginia license plates that honor Robert E. Lee and spotlight the sons of Confederate veterans is headed to Governor Glenn Youngkin's desk. The bill is the second attempt by Delegate Candy Munden King to get rid of the Robert E. Lee plate, which was approved virtually unanimously by the General Assembly in 2007, but has become increasingly unpalatable to Democrats eager to cut ties between Virginia and its Confederate past. A bill to increase affordable housing may be dead for this year, but a study and support from leadership could put it on the path to passage next year. Virginia Public Radio's Brad Kuttner reports. 
They're called mother-in-law suites, or accessory dwelling units if you want to be a nerd about it. They're usually built on a landowner's existing property and can house another person independently. Currently, zoning laws in many localities make the construction of these buildings complicated. But that didn't stop Northern Virginia Senator Saddam Salim from trying. His bill would have standardized zoning rules for such structures across the state. So the idea that this is much needed, we haven't done enough, so this, that's why the study is going to help us get stronger talking points in the future. At a committee hearing last week, Democratic House Speaker Don Scott and a representative from the state's Housing Commission both promised to study local zoning ordinances and how they can be improved to build more mother-in-law suites. And Democrats are getting antsy. Newport News Area Delegate Shelley Simons was particularly vocal about it. This is important. We have to do this. We need density. Simon said there were a number of issues, such as flood maps, tree canopies, and water demands that needed to be considered. But the bipartisan support Salim's bill got in the Senate suggests whatever we see next year will start on good footing. Here's Southside Senator Bill Stanley, who was among Republicans who supported Salim's bill. And having something like this, a granny pod or, or a residence on your residence where you're mom or dad can live independently but still nearby to you and you can take care of them, I think is an important thing. The study asks for details on local zoning ordinances and other data points by July, with a final study on the issue ahead of the 2025 session. Virginia law stipulates that establishments that sell alcohol must make nearly half their earnings from food sales, but on Tuesday, a House of Delegates subcommittee endorsed an effort to remove that requirement, and Brad has that report. I, I haven't told anybody this. My dad used to own a restaurant, and I remember them struggling. And I remember how every time they opened a business, red tape was a, an impediment to them being successful. And if I can take a little bit of that red tape away. That's Fredericksburg area Senator Bryce Reeves just after his bill to remove the alcohol to food ratio passed out of a House subcommittee. The vote was bipartisan and nearly unanimous, similar to the effort's unanimous success in the Senate. Currently, Virginia restaurants can't earn more than 45% of their revenue from alcohol sales in order to keep their liquor license. It's a concept that restaurant owners say keeps the state's, quote, bars in cleaner, better shape. Among supporters of the rule is Jerry Cable, owner of Richmond's tobacco company restaurant for nearly 50 years. He said Virginia ABC was already slacking on enforcing the ratio and removing it would only encourage bad actors. I can assure you that the bars that are operating cause tremendous problems in the neighborhood. But the success of Reeves' bill could be linked to some of the legislature's newer members. Among them is Alexandria-area Delegate Elizabeth Bennett Parker. Uh, we haven't changed this ratio since 1980. A lot has changed since then. There are a lot of premium spirits on the market that consumers want and that small restaurants should be able to sell without worrying about having their license revoked and facing stiff financial penalties. Bennett Parker voted in favor of the bill. The next stop for Reeves' effort is a full House committee. At the Capitol, I'm Brad Kuttner. The pandemic moved a lot of modern life online, but writing a last will and testament is not one of those things, at least in the Commonwealth. Virginia Public Radio's Michael Pope reports. The idea that you need to be in an actual brick-and-mortar lawyer's office to write a will seems like an outdated law, says Senator Suhas Subramaniam of Loudoun County. I work with companies now where um, they, they're completely remote at this point, and uh, we sign all of our contracts on DocuSign, on Notarize.com, on other types of services that are completely online. And, and I think with 12 other states already doing this, it makes a lot of sense. But the lawyers in the General Assembly weren't so sure. Here's Senator Mark Obenchain, a Republican from Rockingham County, who's also a lawyer. Son standing behind the computer going, doesn't have to say anything. 
but putting that kind of squeeze and pressure on that vulnerable adult to do this, there are just certain things that ought to be done in a lawyer's office. The Senate rejected the bill that had already made it out of the House of Delegates, so wills will be crafted in lawyers' offices for now. Lawmakers in Richmond are debating if convenience stores and truck stops should have machines that allow customers to play video games that pay money when the person wins. The opposition to the machines is growing louder, and Michael has this update. Most people call them skill games. Some people call them electronic gambling machines. Todd Gacky at the Family Foundation calls them neighborhood slot machines. This year, lawmakers and gambling lobbyists are pushing small business economic development, which is nothing more than an addiction for profit business model. Byron Fox is an evangelist with the Faith Wins Coalition, which is opposing legislation that would allow the machines at convenience stores and truck stops. We're in communication with our beloved governor, Glenn Youngkin, and we have expressed to him our grave concerns and our righteous indignation against these skill machines. Rich Skazka at the Police Benevolent Association says the machines pose a public safety risk. These machines will place an undue burden on our law enforcement officers by bringing more crime to our communities. Supporters of skill games also have a huge coalition of store owners who support the legislation and say it'll help small businesses survive in a difficult economic environment. And while the legislation to allow them is still alive in the General Assembly, a spokesman for Governor Glenn Youngkin recently told the Virginia Mercury that he has serious concerns. Reporting from the Capitol in Richmond, I'm Michael Pope. Finally today, there are 8.7 million Virginians, and each one has a story. As part of an occasional series from Virginia Public Radio, we're introduced to Robbie Lawson. He's a former auto mechanic turned pipe organ builder in Stanton. Robbie has fashioned a love of working with his hands into an accidental career that's lasted nearly 30 years. Christine Cuter has this profile. On a recent Saturday, Robbie Lawson suddenly realized his mistake. He'd put the sign of St. Peter, two keys and an upside-down cross, on the wooden organ case the wrong way, a crucial detail given that the first century saint was symbolically crucified upside down. Some days I feel like I've just spun my wheels and done nothing, but you know, it's like, well, that's a big waste of time. But, you know, we all have those days, I guess. If I've done carvings or something, production all day, it's, it's you know, go home, die content. Since he was a few years out of high school, Lawson has built pipe organs. Today, he's one of a dozen employees at Taylor and Booty Organ Builders. When he arrived at age 24, after a few years as a car mechanic, Lawson's first job was to shape organ pipes. It was, I mean, it was really cool because the way we make pipes is similar to what they were doing in, you know, 15, 1600 in northern Germany and the Netherlands. You know, we cast our own metal. It's hand-formed around the mandrels, the pretty pipes in the front. There's embossing. We call it bling for the front of the the organ. It wasn't long before he became a woodcarver, too. Because organs channel air rather than vibrating strings, like on a piano or violin, the cases enclosing the instrument are open and surrounded by ornate, hand-carved panels. It's where Lawson began to make his mark. George gave me, George Taylor gave me a shot as far as carving back in 2000, 2001. 
asked me if I was interested and thought I could do it, which I was. You know, I, I have no background in, you know, formal artist training, but I've always been artistic and you know, just like to draw and do creative things. So. His first assignment was close to home, five panels for Opus 34 in a Stanton church. But three years later, he designed and carved panels for Opus 37, installed in San Francisco. Fast forward 50 projects and 30 years to last winter's Opus 84 in an Indiana church, and Opus 85 currently being made for a North Carolina church, and Lawson's accidental career has become a calling. He's carved cats, dogs, fish, certain choir members, birds, rabbits, turnips, and countless other things. Now 51, he's one of five vice presidents at the Oregon Company, the only one unrelated to the founders by blood, a role he's still getting used to. You know, I came here looking, you know, looking for a job and found a career, you know, 27 years later. It is a nice balance of work and but creativity. We're not millionaires here. <laughs> <laughs> but I do feel like it's been a white life. The time I've spent here hasn't been wasted. While clients sometimes bring design ideas, many times the vision is all Lawson's. After a site visit and poring over photos, he pulls architectural details into his organ sketches. Then the team engineers the instrument, which can weigh 8,000 to 10,000 pounds, cost one to three million dollars, and involve 30 to 50 stops, which are clusters of pipes that activate when certain knobs are pulled. Today, Taylor and Booty births about one large pipe organ each year. In between the big builds, they make and refurbish continuos, which are smaller organs used as standalone instruments. Before they're transported to their new homes and churches, private homes, and recital halls, the company hosts an open house to celebrate the organ's send-off for the curious, the musical, and the organ builder's family members. Before he died last summer, Lawson's dad, John, attended every one. Working with his hands, Lawson said, is in his blood. We found my dad's high school senior quote, work hard, live high, and die content. And I think he, he did that, and I'm, you know, looking back, I'm thinking, well, maybe, maybe we're, I'm trying to do that as well. Reporting from Stanton, I'm Christine Cuter. For WMRA News, I'm Bob Levicky. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy your Wednesday.